Hello, and welcome to RBC Disruptors. I'm John Stackhouse. Today's episode is part of a three-part series looking at the future of Canada's skills economy. In the next decade, half of all jobs will be disrupted by technology and automation. That's one of the conclusions of a new research paper we've published at RBC called Humans Wanted. To read the full report, go to rbc.com slash humanswanted. To understand how this is playing out in the real economy, we travel to the Niagara Peninsula to see how one of Canada's largest wineries is approaching skills and automation and a new world of technology that is transforming the wine business. Andrew Peller Estates is a household name for many Canadians. What's less appreciated is how drones, sensors in the soil, and new techniques for weather modeling are changing everything about winemaking. My colleague Peter Henderson sat down with John Peller, whose grandfather founded the company, and Emma Gardner, one of his top winemakers, to understand the skills revolution. Here's their conversation. John and Emma, thanks for sitting down with us. John, how are these new technologies affecting and shaping your business? I think what's driven technology in the, in the wine industry is, is the fact that it's a very, very challenging business model and, and a very, very expensive business model. The absolute cost of growing grapes and the sophistication of what varieties and clones go where and the money around owning a lot of land, expensive winemaking processing equipment, and the fact that the inventory we make is very expensive creates a very challenging financial model and increasingly we're looking for ways to understand how we can do it more effectively and more efficiently and, and naturally we're, we're drawn to data to, to help us make decisions and, and a whole plethora of, of technology right from the, the day a, a small plant is planted to the very last day a bottle is, is corked and sold. So it's, it's happened, you know, gradually over time, but the pace has obviously accelerated significantly in the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I think when people think of winemaking, you know, they think of this sort of bucolic scene under the Tuscan sun or French vineyards. They don't think of data. They don't think of computers. They don't think of sensors. But how has that changed? What does winemaking look like now? You know, you look out over a vineyard even that we have here. This is actually quite a large vineyard at 75 acres. You know, we use very sophisticated weather stations to to track all the data that we can from satellite imagery and, you know, real-time data on sunlight, wind flow, precipitation. And we may plant, you know, anywhere from 10 to 20 different varieties, or even if it's just one variety like Riesling, four or five different types of clones, because we need to get our planning precise to ensure that we put the right vine to get the maximum yield and quality there. So that's just from day one. And, and like I said, it's motivated by the fact that we're making huge financial bets, and, and uh, we've got to get them right, right out of the gate. Emma, you're the winemaker here at 30 Bench Winery. You've been doing this for a long time. You won an award as winemaker of the year in 2015. How has data changed winemaking? I could speak about data, but I'd like to more reference technology and how that's changed what we do. And I think the biggest change that I've seen throughout the years that I've been in the industry, and it's just our total connectivity. 
So not only to the business, we've got our cell phones, we're always connected, we can always see what's going on from a business standpoint, but we can also use that technology not only in the vineyard, as John was alluding to, we've got wind machines which can help us navigate winter events, but also in the winery itself. Um, like we're looking at a new uh, wine management system currently, and this is going to help us be able to control tanks. So the temperature on a tank probe, say whatever the state of that wine is, where it's at its fermentation, we can adjust the temperature from my phone. So that sort of stuff has just made us a little more cutting edge and made us, again, always connected. And I think that's a big part of the wine industry is everything is connected. And from the vineyard right to the finished bottle. And the fact that we can be a, a big part of that throughout the entire process is, is huge. It helps us out a lot in respect to increasing the quality as well as uh, efficiencies. What are some of your sources of data? You talked about weather stations. Are there other things that you're experimenting with, other things that you're monitoring now? Um, the weather stations are a big one for us because not only can they help us record the temperature and the precipitation and everything throughout the growing season, it can also help us make decisions about whether or not we need to turn our wind machines on. And these are things that we've put in various vineyards that we own throughout the, the region that can help us navigate a winter event. So say it's a really severe spring frost or really cold weather event during um, the winter, we can determine whether or not we need to turn these machines on to help us navigate the situation. There's so many cool, fun toys out there that you just go to a trade show, say in California, there's a lot that we can look to, to use and to bring here. And not only to elevate the quality of our wine, but also to increase our efficiencies and reduce our costs. So instead of having to have 12 people stand around a sorting table, now you can do a lot of that work by using a lens and a camera on an optical sorter. Part of this series and the reason that we're here today is to talk about skills and how skills are changing, what skills are going to be like in five years and 10 years. When it comes to winemaking, are you hiring differently? Are you looking for different skill sets than you were maybe five, 10 years ago? Well, I, I think what we've learned is that for you know people to provide optimal leadership, they need a breadth of capability and, and, and scope. So you know, our, our winemakers like Emma, we, we, we look for people who have honors Bachelor of Science, but we want them to evolve to like an MBA business capability. And there's so much software and technology involved in everything that they do that, you know, the broader their experiences and, and learning and education, the better. And, and the fact that it is becoming increasingly in, intense you know, their leadership skills and soft skills need to be that much stronger to, to be able to manage a, a broad team of people that have all these expertises. And Emma, wondering if you could sort of answer the same question from your perspective as a winemaker, you know, you're bringing in, whether it's students or, or new hires, what do you look for when it comes to those skills? I think the first and foremost thing that winemakers need is just that innate passion for making wine as well. It's, it's one of those jobs that you do. And I know it sounds, um, well, a little, like a little cliche to say that, but it's so true. And it's something that spans so many different industries. You're an agricultural based industry, which is very humbling at the best of times. Um, but also because of the way we do our hiring for our seller teams, you're working with a diverse set of people, not only just different skill sets, but also from different parts of the world with different vantage points and different, everyone's bringing something a little different to the table. So being able to, to navigate those diverse groups of people, to be able to be nimble and to realize that you're living within um, a set of variables that are constantly changing, although some of them you need to make sure you maintain the core of what you're doing everything around it is always changing. That's one of the fun parts about working in this region is it's just, there's no season that's the same. 
So I'm very fortunate to be a winemaker here because it makes you hone those skills <laughs> every single year. Just when you think you've got it sorted out, you're challenged with something else the following year. So being able to, to react quickly to those sort of uh, situations is another tremendous skill. Yeah, with all that comes with uh, weather and with climate change and, and winter, that yeah, flexibility is one of your most important mm-hmm. characteristics. Because even in those wine regions that have been so stable, say California or France, because of global warming, they're starting to see those same sort of diverse conditions, be it late frosts or drought or any of those other things that are coming with the changing of the seasons. Um, it's making them relook at how they make wine as well. A funny example of that is, you know, one of the greatest you know, learnings in the last 20 years in winemaking is how critical obviously water is to a plant and in the evolution of its development in in terms of both quality and yield. And, you know, we grow a lot of grapes in the Okanagan Valley, which is a, a, a desert, Canada's only desert, where there wasn't water so that we have to drip irrigate everything. And we have probes throughout the ground that give us minute by minute data that allow us to know when we need to add water to a vineyard to a certain plant in a certain region because of that. In much of Bordeaux now, it's illegal to ever add water to a vineyard because they believe you know only God can can make wine and add water to the thing. But it, it shows you that to to advance something simple as water application to a plant where it's an old tradition has become now very modern internet of things science and uh it keeps you on your toes that's very french to have a rule it reminds me of the german sort of beer purity rule right well they're prescriptive and and sometimes they honor traditions to a fault and that's why you know our niagara region we started with a clean sheet of paper and and we grow lots of varieties here and and have brought you know great innovation to winemaking and wine practices and 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 certainly knowledge, technology, and, and innovation have been a core part of that. I guess it strikes me that both ends of your business are being changed by data, but in different ways. You know, on the marketing side, you've got more of this feedback, more knowledge of consumer culture at the same time that from the grapes themselves, you're getting more of this feedback. Do you think that data has really changed the fundamentals of your business? Totally. I mean, there's there's there isn't anything we do now that is any remotely similar to how we did it 15, 20 years ago. And, 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 you know, this is the exciting thing about business and life. It's a, it's a human sport. You're, you're as only as good as, as smart you are and, and how well you work as a smart team with each other so that the, the need to find better people and to constantly self-improve and, you know, just the realization that, that education is a day-to-day responsibility and I, I have to be smarter tomorrow to, to be better at what I do and to win. And, and, and that's a key value in, in, our, in our company and I think it's why we've done so well. Let's turn to the education aspect of it. I know you have a relationship with Brock University. Emma, you went through the winemaking program there. Uh, Can you talk a bit about developing the skills and the people for the next generation of winemaking? Mm-hmm. So the Enology and Viticulture program there started in 1997 and has generated, I'm not sure how many, but typically every year five or six candidates will successfully complete the program. Um, and our relationship, so when I say our, I mean Andrew Peller's relationship with Brock has really become quite tight over the last, I'd say, five years. 
And we've been very collaborative in numerous um, research studies with them. So it starts out as, say, a casual conversation with the enologist Belinda Kemp there or the director, Debbie Inglis. And then as they're trying to find new things in which to ask for research money for, they'll make sure that it's very applicable to the industry and that there's actually interest from uh, people who are making wine, that this is something that's going to benefit us overall. There's a genuine desire there to help not only put us on the stage from a global standpoint, but also just to, to put us there producing quality wine. So we'll meet, we'll talk about different things, like for example, Trius, uh, one of our, our wineries, um, a huge part of their portfolio is sparkling wine. So we've worked through many different trials, discussions of what we would feel is something that's going to help us to improve our quality, as well as then they would go and complete the entire research project. So in one way, we're helping them by giving them some product and kind to, to work on, but then also any of their tasting panel would be tasting our wines as well. So it's almost like a research consumer panel in a very controlled setting. And it's actually helped us change some of the processes that we have been doing for numerous years to improve the product. What made you decide to go into winemaking? Like, obviously, it's a small program, so... Yeah, and especially back in those days, it was very small. Um, well, I... In high school, realized that science was something that I really enjoyed. Um, I also really enjoyed travel. And the more I dug into my own ancestry, I realized how much agricultural there was. My family's from the southwest in England and a lot of ciders down there. And there's just a lot of agriculture in our, in our family. <clears throat> um, but realizing that when I applied for various programs, like I applied for forensics, I applied for archaeology and enology and viticulture and got into all the programs and my decision wasn't made, so I decided to take a year off and travel. And the more I spoke with people, the more I realized that bringing a wine to a dinner table as opposed to a conversation about digging up dead bodies or dealing with whatever like in the forensic world um, is a lot more appealing and <laughs> a lot more fun for that matter as well. And so just knowing now that travel was something that was really driving a lot of this in science also um, in a big way, I ended up envisioning myself getting my degree and then just traveling the world and uh, leaving this area and um, have been here now for 20 years and have enjoyed my time here immensely. Having this as a home base and being able to go to the other wine regions and see what they're doing. And again, a lot of those people coming to our area just to help us work through our vintages. Um, it's been it's been so much fun. It's a great area to, to have landed in. It's beautiful. Did you feel at Brock that they were sort of giving you those broader skills to succeed in a winery, whether it was human skills, whether it was digital? Um, I would say yes. Your electives, they would make recommendations as to which ones to choose, you know, finite or having to take uh, classes that involved a lot of sensory analysis and where you would have to take those data points and then regenerate them into something that was more usable. Certainly got a lot of that. And also just partaking in various tastings and industry events. They always help to promote that as well. So again, helping to work on some of those soft skills and just getting out there and introducing yourself and all those sort of things. You know, looking at uh, some of the students that are coming out now, do you, do you think that they're more suited when it comes to some of those other skills, the unexpected skills that, that are part of winemaking? It depends on the individual, because a lot of those come from situations that you need to take advantage of as well. Like the university is not going to force you to go out and mingle with people. Like it has to live with inside of you and you need to want to be able to go out and interact and just to help work on those skills. But also even something as small as being collaborative and working on class projects together. That's something that is really reinforced as being something that's very beneficial and knowing that your colleagues 
in university will essentially become your colleagues in the industry later on. So maintaining those relationships, working together and just helping to promote that sort of stuff is still very much alive and well at Brock. You know, I was never a fan of group work when I was in university, but I guess uh, that is developing those, that collaboration, the, that cooperation, the really important skills. Nobody's really a lone wolf in the work world, right? Exactly. And because our industry is on the, the global stage fairly small, especially the Niagara wine region and its industry here, the, you know a lot of people. And it, even globally, the wine world is not that big. You cross paths with people and it's always about making sure that you treat them the way that they should be treated as well as how you'd like to be remembered because odds are you will cross paths again. It happens all the time. I think one important thing to add there is that, you know, there's a limit to how much social interaction you can get at school. And I think one of the great knowledge innovations in, in, in education generally in the last five or 10 years is the importance of internships and how they can supplement academic education so we 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 take interns through marketing and and finance and certainly in winemaking throughout our harvest periods and and then we get to have a a develop relationship with students and then they get to see what they're learning in the real world real time and develop soft skills in a real environment that it's hard to replicate in in a college or university environment and i i think that as they reform and and innovate in on the education system they'll start to rely more on the value of internships to to strengthen all aspects of the system Mm -hmm. school gives you only so much but you develop all of those skills when you're on the job historically the winemaker role or or chef in a kitchen there was a it attracted people who like to be working on their own you know and and we think of often the eccentricity of people who are art focused but but in the real world these people now have so many people they have to manage and work and collaborate with that if their communication skills and team working capabilities and leadership aren't you know exemplary we don't work so we place a huge value on on people having those values and skills and then it puts an emphasis on us to, to find ways to promote and grow those skills in people. And, and we do that through having great, great leaders like Emma. We've been talking about how, how wine is changing. Do you have an idea or a view of what the winemaker of the future looks like in terms of the changing mix of skills that they're going to need? I think, again, there are some skills that we possess now. Like, again, that innate passion just to continue to not only do what you're doing, but do it the best that you can. So just that willingness to continue to um, educate yourself and realize that there's still so much to learn and be in order to be maintain a competitive edge with all of our competitors throughout the globe as well look to see what other regions are doing and we're fortunate enough to be in a younger industry that we can do that we've got the flexibility we're not as rigid and held by tradition that we can't um, utilize new technologies so embracing that sort of uh, way of thinking is another skill that I would say uh, is very important sensory skills is is a huge part of the job also like it's one of the only jobs in the world where I get to smell and taste and actually think about it all day long like it's it's really it's a very sensory job which is cool and that's the basis that's that's what you need and then all the other soft skills that go on top of that when it comes to say public speaking or interacting with individuals and it's not a lone wolf position by any means and every day is a new challenge and it's I I can't say there's ever a day where I'm bored at work and and one of the things I'd highlight you know is that 
the beverage alcohol industry is changing rapidly itself and where historically spirit products and beer and, and wine products were traditionally very kept apart and had their own, you know, way of doing things. Increasingly, there's a lot of interplay between the segments now so that, you know, we've started our own uh, craft distillery with Gretzky and we're making whiskey, we're getting working with brewers now and we're starting to investigate, you know, where these beverages can work together to make new and innovative products, you know, making a rosé cider and combining them and in, in a sophisticated craft refreshment product to fermenting Cabernet Sauvignon and whiskey barrels to get some of the flavoring there. You know, there's so much opportunity going forward uh, and it's really exciting for us. I think something you just alluded to is sort of the changing consumer taste. How do you get that data? How do you find out what people are interested in at the LCBO or wherever? How do you find out what the tastes of tomorrow are going to be? Information and understanding consumers is getting so digital and, and, and data-driven. It's, it's mind-boggling, and we access an infinite number of resources for consumer uh, data from traditional focus group activity to to using the the internet to to find out about how people live and how they make choices. But interestingly, one of the the best ways for us to learn about consumers is to invite them down here and to spend time with them one on one personally. And in fact, that's become one of the most significant ways we market our brands. We we create experiences right here in the winery. And we have tastings and special events with food trucks and we've put restaurants in our wineries so that we really market our, our brands now experientially. And while we're doing that and having a hell of a lot of fun while we do it, we're talking with consumers and learning about them in ways that we could never do with data. So it's really combining you know, the, the, the future of greater data and, and, and access to data with more intense one-on-one FaceTime with, with our consumers so we know what inspires them. And the more they're inspired, we're inspired. Yeah, I guess that's that's that combination of sort of the qualitative with the quantitative. I'm just wondering, on that quantitative side, have you added data scientists to your operation? Who, who's the person who's understanding and pulling all of this stuff from these new data sources? I mean, our marketing departments, which were traditionally consumer brand marketing departments, are now increasingly staffed with people whose skills are software, data analytics, and networking their activities throughout our company. So the traditional lines between functions increasingly blur, and uh, it's a whole new set of skills you know, we we used to advertise on TVs, magazine, and billboards. That's not even ten percent of our marketing budget anymore. We're we're far more engaged in 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 social media. Almost eighty five percent of our marketing is social media, connecting to wine clubs, getting people to come and visit, and creating experiences that tie all those things together. Emma, John, thanks so much for being with us today. Our pleasure. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for downloading RBC Disruptors. If you'd like to read our report, Humans Wanted, go to rbc.com or just Google RBC and Humans Wanted. Today's show was produced and edited by Peter Henderson. You can reach us at rbcdisruptors at rbc.com or join the conversation on Twitter using the hashtag RBC Disruptors. I'm John Stackhouse. Thanks so much for listening. (music) 